here and you're going to have good surgery and we're going to enjoy the next show. Yes, you are. Till next Thank week. Thank you, Kristen, for that information about International yeah, Women's, Women's Day. Happy Women's Day to Kristen and Charmy. No flowers. Thank you so much. Where's my chocolate? <laughs> Uh, let's see. You're listening to Buffalo Thunder. That's the song taking us out. What did you hear at the beginning? Didn't you play a song at the beginning, Ollie? Oh, never No, mind. I was just ready to in <laughs> case you didn't show up, but no, I didn't. Oh, for Ollie, Transboy Bratton, and Kristen, thank you for engineering today. I'm Charmy Golson. Remember, this is a White Buffalo Woman production. Even though we're yelling and screaming and we're angry, try to spread some love and peace around, you know, because we're all related. Mitako Yasin. Bye-bye. It's me? Okay. Hi, it's Mike, and Pandora's Lunchbox is next. This is a show from July. It's really cool, and it's really up-to-date. There's just a few references to a couple of candidates from last year. Other than that, very up-to-date and very interesting. Here we go. If Pandora's Box is a box of chocolates, would I know to stay away? What's said? Hand off his box, a box of chocolates. Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe, that means I have half a mind to stay. Good evening, it's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food. And today we have a guest in the studio, Chris Bedford. Hello. Hello. Chris is part of a group that is working on uh, trying to get a state initiative together to improve food quality in Michigan, correct? That's right. Um, actually, I, I'm part of a group that is coming out of the Sweetwater local foods market in Muskegon, Michigan, and we're Michigan's first farmer's market that is all organic produce, all humanely raised animal products, meat, eggs, and cheese, and all local. And we have very high standards. Uh, There's like two or three markets like this around the country, but we're the only one in Michigan. And the idea behind the uh, the statewide food initiative is it's in the development process right now. We call it healthy local food for a healthy Michigan. Is is that if we change our food supply in Michigan, we could actually do many other things to help renew Michigan. You know, we always think of food as sort of. It's not really in the public sphere of debate right now. Neither candidate for governor is talking about it. Uh, the legislature doesn't really talk about it much. Yet if we change our food supply, we could actually reinvent Michigan in almost every other way as well. Okay. And I think one thing to emphasize here is, although there are a lot of farmers markets that have organic food and a lot that have local food and that have some organic and some that is local and not organic, you have all local, all organic and all humanely raised, too. It's really important. <clears throat> you know, organic, in, as defined by the federal government, they don't even acknowledge that it's different from conventional. They just say it's a marketing distinction, not actually a quality distinction. We think about it as a quality distinction. And a true organic, sustainably, organically sustainable system has animals on it with their waste products being incorporated as nutrients into the soil. And it's really, it's a whole living system of animals and plants and soil and people 
people and all the all the microorganisms in there together. So we think you know having humanely raised, which means ecologically soundly raised as well as humanely raised animal products, is really important. So that's very unusual. Many uh, farmers markets in Michigan don't sell a lot of meat and eggs and cheese. We sell a lot actually. Okay, so in a sense, you could say that if you're talking about a healthy Michigan initiative that it starts with each individual and each individual farmer's market, I'd say. It sounds like you're, you're trying to create a healthy Muskegon, a healthy area. Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, farmer's markets and the whole move towards local organic food is often characterized uh, by its detractors, a couple of different things, but one of them is, is called 3M uh, food. Uh, Minx, Monaco, and Mercedes. That's really for rich people. Oh yeah, and um, and that you know, it's really just about you know five star chefs and taste and you know all the good stuff that goes with hot cuisine. In our market, it's very different. Uh, the people who come to our market, the Sweetwater Local Foods Market, and it's our second year of operation, they almost all of them come for health reasons. And what's happening is is that there's an epidemic of food, nutrition-related health problems in Michigan, just like everywhere else. And uh, obesity and diabetes are the, the really prominent ones, but just about heart disease, autoimmune diseases like arthritis and uh, allergies, you you can just go down the list. It's you know how we eat is really killing us, and and it's not just killing us. It's also killing our economy because if you look at what Detroit says, twelve hundred dollars in healthcare costs per car, you know a lot of that is directly attributable to our diet. And so if we were actually to eat a healthy diet based on local food, we could reduce our. I mean, just an example. This is this is a stunning number. In Michigan, in two thousand four, we spent three point seven billion dollars on type two diabetes care. That's both public and private. Okay, ninety percent plus of that is can be uh, dealt with through change in diet. You don't have to have drugs, major interventions. You know, you don't have you know, all the amputations, all the other things that happens with diabetes. Well, I think we're all pretty much hooked on the idea that, well, if you have a health problem, you should go to the doctor and take pills, take That's injections, right. and, and a lot of us, I don't think, think about what we can do at home or at the market to do anything about that. Well, we're, you know, the, the, the pill idea, with all due respect to all the pill makers, um, is really an extension of the industrial model that somehow if you just put the right additive into the gasoline, it'll run better. The engine will run better. Well, sir, we're the engines and the pill is the additive. Um, actually, we are part of a huge living organism, and we're just part of it. And so to the degree that our soil is healthy and our plants are healthy and our animals are healthy, we are healthy. And it's, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. Um, so what's happening is is that people are coming to our market because they don't have health insurance mm. and because they can't afford and, and And we did a film called What Will We Eat? Uh, which has been shown at the East Lansing and Muskegon and Saugatuck Film Festivals in, in uh, Michigan this year. And in the film, there's an African-American woman named Shirley Hunter. And she's my favorite person in the film. She came to our very first market. She had been diagnosed with a blood disease. I didn't know what it was. She didn't tell me. And she looked like she was almost dead. She came to our market and she was scared and she... This looked really bad. And the reason she came to our market is is that 
she wanted to find, she heard about food might be a way to help her because she didn't have money for health insurance. So she bought a book and she saw the word organic. Then she saw, you know, we were an organic market in the newspaper. So she, there's no, you know, it just the almost happened chance that she came. Mm. And uh, and so she came to our market and we have a, a, a we have a board which includes four healthcare professionals on our board. And one of them, Dr. Uh, Norbert Sharondale, was, came to the market and consulted with her and told her about nutrition. When the film, she's interviewed on the last market of the season, about 20 weeks later. And she looks like a different person. Really? She totally transformed. She looks, she, her skin is glowing. She's healthy. You know, you know, uh, it's it just, and she talks about it, you know, and, and it's just, and it's just, the transformation is so stunning. I didn't recognize her when she came to the last market and I asked her if she wanted to be in the film. And then I realized it was Shirley Hunter. And, and so that's that kind of experience that people have, you know, Karen Lubbers, who is the wife of, uh, or I'm sorry, the mother of one of our, uh, a baker who bakes organic bread for our market. She got, her daughter had brain cancer eight years ago and there was no hope. They said no hope. They took all the chemical substances out of their house and they only ate local organic food. They grew on their own farm. Her daughter was cured and now she's a leading advocate for this, for this approach to food in West Michigan. There's story after story like that, that, you know, it's just coming back in. If you think about it, it's like, you know, if it's like ice skating, if you're out of balance, you're going to fall. If you're in balance, you're going to like skim along. Uh huh. And I think one thing is that, well, a lot of effort is being put into pills and things that are supposed to help people make them better. And one way, you know, you can't necessarily say, well, if you eat that food, I can guarantee you'll be better. But why not try when you have these really encouraging stories to find out whether organic food in these foods can help you? Because it seems as if uh, people aren't necessarily experimenting with simple food in their lives like pharmaceutical companies are experimenting with drugs. I mean... That's right. And, and so what, what's going to motivate this? See, what's happening is, is we see it's like a tidal wave of coming up. People, it's like suddenly happening. And I think you can see in this recent story that the uh, William Clinton Foundation just negotiated with uh, three of the largest soda makers to remove soda from elementary and middle schools and only have diet soda, which I don't like anyway, mm-hmm. uh, in, in high schools. But that, it was a huge, think about it, it would have been like cigarette companies suddenly removing cigarette uh, machines from certain places. They just, this was a proactive step by this industry because they knew that, you know, that their product was causing childhood obesity and causing, Mm -hmm. leading these kids to have, you know, even childhood diabetes. And so this was, this suggestion that these companies are not stupid, they're very market oriented. They saw it coming. Well, it's coming. And, you know, I did a poll in Iowa when I was living there, and I was national campaign coordinator for the Sustainable Ag Program through the Humane Society of the United States. And I did a poll there in Iowa, which is the heart of industrial agriculture, and uh, about would people pay more, uh, 10% more for humanely raised animal products? Will they, would they, how would they care about organic? And this is the heart of the industry here, right? Where 20 million acres in corn and soybeans, which is the heart of the industrial system. 75% of the people wanted it. Republicans, Democrats, independents, it's not a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. People in their guts know something's wrong and they want to come back into balance. But the system of government, our government is not acknowledging that. The commercial system is beginning to acknowledge it. 
and we have increasing demand in our market. But the public policy system is like you know the generals that are determined to fight World War II again. You know they're mm-hmm. they're going they're looking backwards. They don't see that so many things could be dealt with in terms of public policy. For instance, that diabetes thing. You know, if it's three point seven billion dollars in two thousand four. In 2010, it's going to be $30 billion because we have a whole generation of kids where half of children of color are going to have diabetes and be obese, and one-third of all children are going to be that. So wouldn't it be better to, like, not bankrupt the state and invest in healthy food for these kids? Wouldn't it be, like, really cost-effective as opposed as, as well as being, you know, like, humane and caring for these children? Mm-hmm. But, you know, even if you only care about taxes and expenditures— this is it. And so it's beginning to pick up steam. So people are starting to realize across the state that aside from an individual trying to buy organic food, the state can help make people aware of organic food. And they can also, you understand that the system right now is the industrial food system, which we have, is highly subsidized, which is why we're in the middle of these these talks with the uh, WTO. You know, there's this whole... Because uh, India and uh, Brazil and a bunch of other countries are saying, well, we're engaging on fair trade practices because we subsidize corn and soybeans and five other uh, commodities extremely heavily. It's the core of our this system. And so, you know, if, if we actually didn't subsidize that, we actually just put a little money into helping young farmers get land and begin to grow healthy local food. You know, instead of this, you know, helping farmers trying to raise corn in competition with Brazil, you know, and making a dollar sixty for the corn and it costs them two fifteen or two thirty to produce it, and we pay as taxpayers for the difference a bushel. I mean, that's crazy. And I mean, there's there's in Wasanaw County here. Um, I've been told that there's a hundred thousand acres around Ann Arbor in corn and soybean production. That's a lot of. Uh, that's right. That's a lot. That's a lot, and it's all industrial, and it's this for this very cost degraded, uh, income degraded stuff. It's just you know, trying to compete with other countries that can't compete. We're, we're subsidizing it, and yet we have a place here in Ann Arbor and in, in the suburbs of Detroit uh, just would soak up and eat healthy local food. We have a giant market here. Yet these farmers, because the government is incentives are going towards commodities, towards this world commodity market, you know, are doing this instead of growing local, you know, heirloom tomatoes and lettuce and carrots and beets and you know cabbage and raising grass-fed chickens and 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 dairy products. You know, it just because it, so it's the system, the market isn't working. It's skewed because of government policy. So it sounds like they're focusing more on. It's. I mean, all food is food you can eat, but they're focusing more on getting as much food as possible in large quantities rather than having a qu- the quality of food and well, the quality not, of jobs. It's right? not. It's not. It's not even food. They call it commodities. They're just inputs, uh-huh. you know. And so one of the you know, because we reduce so much corn in this country, and there's such a surplus of it, uh, and it's you know we subsidize it so highly, you know we have to invent ethanol in order to, <laughs> you know, to use up all that corn. And if you look at what are the Which, sweetener? Just a quick mission, what, what ethanol is, just for some people might know. Ethanol is a, a basically an alcohol derived from corn, which can be used in your car. And they've got that new e, E85 that they're pushing a lot. That, that, that uh, means it's 85% ethanol, 10, 15% gasoline. And that's the mixture, and and that means it's primarily, it, it's it's just it's that's a whole show that we should talk about no, because of the arguments about that. But even if we were to do this in Michigan, we have the interesting thing about Michigan is we have the second most diverse agriculture 
in the United States after California. That's that's quite 125 crops grown here. We have this incredible freshwater, rich soil in many places. We have really skilled farmers, long tradition of farming here. And yet, only 5% of the food we eat here comes from Michigan farms. Only 5%. Yep. And that's because we have this industrial food system. The average Michigan meal, according to one study from the uh, Iowa State University, travels over 1,500 miles from our from farm to, to our plates. And those all those miles are fueled by largely imported oil. So we are, you know, this whole food system is like out there at the edge of, you know, what's going on in the world. And we just take our food system for granted. If you look at what happened in Katrina, it wasn't just that they lost their homes. They lost their food supply. Mm. And, P- and if we ever had anything like the, any interruption in our food supply here because of this long-distance food system, and most people don't have a week's food in their house. Oh, yeah. We would see. Yeah, you know, and if you're poor, you're lucky to have a day's food in your house. Right. It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN. It's 6.46, coming up at uh, 6.60 or 7 o'clock or some such thing. It's Face the Music with Arwolf. I'm talking with filmmaker Chris Bedford. He's done a film called What Will We Eat? He's also from the Sweetwater Local Foods Market. You can find out about that at sweetwaterlocalfoodsmarket.org. It's in Muskegon. And there are a lot of fine farmer's markets in Michigan, certainly in Ann Arbor and Ipsy. This particular one in Muskegon, however, is unique in that Not only does it sell local and sell organic, it sells exclusively local organic food that is all humanely raised. That's at sweetwaterlocalfoodsmarket.org. This is WCBN. Pandora's Lunchbox. We're talking to Chris Bedford. Hello. Hello. And uh, we've been talking about uh, efforts underway to work on a ballot initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. <clears throat> you know, in right now in the state of Michigan, most of the decisions about our food supply are made by five or six people, none of whom are elected. And they are lobbyists and industry people who pressure the government to do certain things. And they're the ones who really set the policy. And what we think, you know, that's this fine. I mean, that's this part of our system, I guess. But we, what we'd like to do is create an opportunity for ordinary consumers to have a vote on the qualities of their food supply. And so we're going to have a ballot initiative in 2008, which is we're calling tentatively healthy local food for a healthy Michigan. And the language is actually uh, being worked on now about the actual language of the initiative. But basically what it's going to say is, is that every resident in Michigan has a right 
to have healthy food and that the policies of the state should help them you know, protect that right, achieve that right, and access to that food. And, uh, and that means sort of basically having a local food supply that is encouraged by state grants, by state policy, uh, by state purchasing policies. Uh, you know, it just, there's just, just endless things that could happen. For instance, in Ypsilanti here, we have the High Scope Foundation, which has done many, many studies on uh, early childhood stuff, under Head Start particularly, they've been studying it. And it's very clear that academic achievement is tied directly to nutrition. So we keep talking about how we have to have a new generation of smart workers to be at the smart right. businesses. Well, if, we, if kids are malnourished in school, no matter how much money we spend on job training, you know, it's sort of like you've got to start with the soil if you want to have a healthy plant. You've got to start with nutrition if you want to have a healthy, successful child. Right. So that's what we. So this initiative is a way for we hope that we'll have you know millions of Michiganders able to express and even if the initiative doesn't win, having a campaign on this issue will educate the entire state. Sure, and it just seems like I was wondering there are, there's a lot of competition out there for initiatives, but a campaign is definitely going to get a lot of attention because it's going to get people talking and asking questions and debating. Yeah, and I and it's also I mean, and it's interesting because when you look at public policy changes, you know, right is important, but money is always a factor. So we we spend so much money on health insurance, as I said before, for treating diseases that we wouldn't have to spend that money uh, on if we actually ate better. So if this, if we took that three point seven billion in type two diabetes, what if we took a billion of that and, and invested that in a healthy local food diet for every child uh, who can't afford it? You know, that would it would make those children healthy, schools would be safer, more productive places, and we would be building the local economy, farmers would be making more money. We would double if we would this if we could source uh, half of our food from uh, Michigan farmers, it would double farm income in this state. And we just did that. And that's just, you don't have to have a Marshall Plan, you know, Black Hawk helicopters with gold from Washington arriving. Right. <laughs> you can just do it by changing your purchasing habits. In Muskegon, Michigan, where I'm from, Muskegon County, uh, we spend $340 million a year on food. $340 million a year. The state spends $22.3 billion a year on food. Okay. If we just change our purchasing habits in Muskegon County, just $9 a week, every family changed and spent that $9 on local food, it would create $100 million in new activity in Muskegon County. It's incredible because the multiplier effect is local farmers buy local things from local merchants, and it goes into the economy. When we you know, we're buying corn uh, apples from uh, China, that money's going to the importers into the Chinese, not to us, not to our farmers. And we do. We grow a lot of apples here, but we import apples from China, which is very mm -hmm. strange. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just, it's just, it's really, it's not just a little change. If we started to eat locally, we would start to come back into harmony with our economy, our economy would begin to be local and we'd begin to have the money stay here. We'd spend less on disease, we'd have better educational outcomes. And here's the final thing, and this is the most interesting thing to me in some ways, is if you look at why companies locate in different states, you know, we have this big deal now about the governor bringing, you know, jobs from Japan and DeVos saying, no, they didn't, you know, she didn't do it, whatever, you know, the reason companies locate in a place, you know, there's always job incentives. And there's always training offered. 
quality of life is why people, the high knowledge jobs of the future, they're looking for quality of life. That's why Ann Arbor is why where, the way it is in some way, because it's got mm -hmm. a high quality of life. So if we changed our food system here, we would be a, a magnet for the good high knowledge jobs of the world. We have this wonderful uh, environment. We would have healthy food. And, you know, just, so just by changing our food system, we could change everything here almost. It's Pandora's Lunchbox. Hi, this is Mike. I've been talking to Chris Bedford. Thank you, Chris, filmmaker, and he's been talking about the Sweetwater Local Foods Market in Muskegon, and it's unique in that not only does it have local food and organic food, it has exclusively local and organic food and humanely raised food. He's also talking about the Ballot Initiative, and he's also talked about the film called What Will We Eat?, and you can find out about what will we eat at localharvest.org. There's ordering information and such if you're so inclined, localharvest.org. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a show about food, and Arwolf is going to get ready to face the music in just five minutes, but there's more. So yes, there's lots of great food all around the world, and I've eaten pretty much most of it in, in a few sittings, but nonetheless, there's something to be said for local food, and Chris Bedford has said it, and he'll have to be on the show again sometime soon. Now, just a few more minutes. We've talked about something of substance. Now maybe it's time to talk about something that may or may not have substance. This is from the Associated Press. When his chickens started disappearing, a farmer in India thought dogs or jackals were to blame. He was surprised when he discovered the culprit was one of his cows. The farmer got up early and caught the chicken-eating cow in the act. Whoa. The local veterinarian says he's never heard of a cow turning carnivorous, or cow-nivorous. He says cows eat grass and other vegetarian food, but not poultry. The farmer and his calf in Calcutta, India, have become local celebrities in the village. Actually, this village is about 150 miles southwest of Calcutta. Hundreds of people have flocked to the farm to see for themselves, and the man and his cow have been on TV. Well, that was one mad cow. Ah-ha-ha. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Sorry. But that's one of the important pieces of news out right now. One more piece of news. Did you know that there's a reason that cats don't like to eat sweet foods? It's because they can't taste them. This is in the Scientific American. Cats cannot taste sweet foods. They cannot taste sweetness, unlike every other mammal examined to date. This is from the Scientific American. The tongues of most mammals hold taste receptors, proteins on the cellular surface that bind to an incoming substance, activating the cell's internal workings that lead to a signal being sent to the brain. Humans enjoy five kinds of taste buds, or possibly six. The sweet receptor is actually made up of two coupled proteins generated by two separate genes known as TASE1R2 and TASE1R3. TASE1R2, I don't know how to say it. There's numbers and letters and it's confusing. When working properly, the two genes form the coupled protein, and when something sweet enters the mouth, the news is rushed to the brain, primarily because sweetness is a sign of rich carbohydrates, an important food source for plant eaters and the non-discriminating, like humans. But cats are from the noble lineage carnivora, and unlike some of its lesser members, such as omnivorous bears or even more appalling, herbivorous 
pandas. They exclusively eat meat. I think this article was written by a cat because it's dissing pandas and other animals. Cats can be snobbish that way, but that's all right. It's Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike for at least a half an hour, and I hope that you have been what you have been for longer than that and will continue to be or something to that effect. Coming up soon on a future show, very in the near, very in future the near, we'll talk about the Ann Arbor Film Festival that's coming up, Food for Thought, and I hear word that there are a couple of entries in the Ann Arbor Film Festival to do with food, so we'll be talking about that very soon. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and this is Annie Ross. was a girl and she was right from the sticks Thought she'd go out to the market one day And hey, we should save the town She was the toast, really the most We don't want to boast, but Scabs of lads would all surround a city Sicker sure went out as she walked in the marketplace What did she see? Crew cut and cute with a crazy goatee What a blend, he was the end Selling beans, dressed in his jeans What? I got beans out of bargain, little girl. Won't you step right up? Cast your eyes upon me where you will have no other care. to be no other worry there if you see the crazy pair. You'll have one they clean and cooked a crazy on the table. I got them fresh this very morning from the backyard and I picked them all myself. I hoped you would come along and buy my beans because well, what I'm trying to say is they taste so good. They taste so very, very, very good Take advantage of a bar coming and buy some We got string beans, snap beans, lima beans We got the very kind of beans that I would like to put right in your fresh jerk pretty baby, don't you see what I mean? They're the finest of beans, coolest of beans They're the best beans that you could find in this or any other marketplace What are you trying to prove with all your talk of beans? Yes, I know that they look crazy But they're just beans Only beans they will have to go Because of something you should know That though I think the beans are great Well you can leave them off my plate Because they're my favorite dish Hey Let me say I Am not the guy Who's supposed to sell beans It's a means To you Cause I Straight from New York to around the country with Wardell Gray. And hey, we could sure say of the drums, he was the toast, relief the most. We don't want to boast, but all the crazy chicks were down him, all the crazy bands were down him. Then one day he met the one that made his head whirl. He met married the same little girl. What a blend. They are the end, they're real cool. House with a pool, crazy scenes, blending on the beach. 7 o'clock, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. That's us. Radio Free Ann Arbor. Student-run experimental radio from the University of Michigan. Thank you, Mike, for playing Annie Ross, singing her vocalese adaptation of a theme by Wardell Gray, hence the reference to Wardell Gray near the end of that song. I keep forgetting to look up who was playing drums with Wardell Gray on that famous session where he did this tune with Art Farmer, and that's why it was called Farmer's Market. 
I don't know where she got all them beans at. Well, let's see. Many of us in the international cosmic jazz community are mourning the passing of Leroy Jenkins, a, uh, an incredible improviser, wonderful jazz violinist. So wanted to serenade you with some Leroy Jenkins material. And we're going to start with something from Rasan Roland Kirk's album, Rasan Rasan. This is when he, uh, he first introduced the name Rasan in relation to himself. <laughs> 